and I've got lights. That's looking hopeful. Good. <clears throat> I'll try and get it right in the first go tonight. Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, a Mazda Ride and Drive Day Special Edition. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. Go on then, Alan. What's a Ride and Drive Day with Mazda? I, I, I don't really know, to be perfectly honest. I've, this is the thing. This is what happens when I foolishly let you do the headings, and then I don't read them long before I actually record them. It's what it was called last year. Was it? It possibly did say Ride and Drive Day. Uh, but what it means is that I... Uh, on my way to Race of Remembrance in Anglesey, I uh, popped into Leamington for much of the day. Multitasking. I was, yes. Yes, that's kind of... <laughs> I think it added a good three hours to my journey, or that's what it felt like. Uh, but no, I I, um, I went to Anglesey via Leamington uh, and uh, a chance to... Uh, an awesome chance to drive basically as much of the current Mazda range as I wanted to and to be honest as I had time to was actually what the uh, was actually the governing factor mm-hmm. um, yeah because it's it's the balance isn't it of having a meaningful drive yet still seeing that there's all these other options there and there is only so many hours in a day <laughs> and does the knowledge that on that particular day, and this will be relevant in a little while when I talk about the cars I was driving, on that particular day, the, the weather forecast for the country was not awesome. Um, not in so November, of, you, you, you jest, surely. At the end of November, just as there was a great big low coming in from the Atlantic. Yeah, it was great. Um, so, so yes, that, that sort of coloured the order of cars and which cars I drove in as well. But no, it's fantastic. I had the choice of... Almost the entire range. I say almost the entire range because the three wasn't there. You mean they didn't preview it at Leamington for you? They did not preview it. We got to see oh, the teaser so image selfish. because it was due to be shown uh, shown off properly um, at the LA Auto Show, which just started the next week. It started on the Monday, so there weren't any proper pictures of it yet. But we will talk about that, and we will talk about Sky ActiveX in just a mo. Before I move on to that, though, I just want to say that I didn't think much had changed with the master range, uh, but it turns out that the, pretty much the whole lot been overhauled uh, over the last uh, year or mm. so. Yeah. Lots and lots of tiny little changes to specs across the range. Lots of engine changes and tweaks. And pretty much always an increase in power. Which meant that Mazda were able to meet WLTP, were completely compliant across the whole range, well before they actually needed to for WLTP. And it's not just an increase in power, it's an increase in engine sizes, wasn't it, generally, as well? There's a bit of both. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not talking massive, but they just they generally went up a little bit. Well, a little because bit. Because Mazda don't do the, let's have a very small engine with lots of turbos fitted route, do they? No, they don't. I mean, the first... For example, the Mazda 2 now, you can only get a Mazda 2 with a 1.5-litre engine. Uh, there's three different there's three different outputs on that engine. It ranges up to 100-and-something. I don't have notes on that in front of me because you've slightly poleaxed me, mate. But but no, the smallest engine they have is a 1.5. Uh, and the stuff like the lowest trim level you can get in a Mazda 2 uh, still includes front and rear electric windows, alloy wheels, and air conditioning. 
uh, these days. So there's lots of tweaks like that, right the way up to the 2.5-litre petrol auto uh, in the state and saloon ver- uh, six in state and saloon version, which uh, which you drove not so long ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was trying not to, to cross over that again. One thing that's well worth knowing if you are looking to buy a new Mazda or right at the minute a nearly new Mazda, but in the future any used Mazda, is the difference between pre-WLTP and post-WLTP is the fact that the model designation has plus at the end. So where you might have ordered a sport, a sport nav, uh, now essentially with the same looking vehicle will be a sport nav plus. And you can, of course, check that kind of thing on the little model plaque that's inside the driver's door, if I remember rightly. Okay. Um, so worth checking on that now and in the future uh, if you want to make sure that you're not going to be caught out uh, by potential tax increases and silliness like that. Just something to be certain of. If it's not plus, it should be significantly dis... Well, it should have been sold by now, but uh, it should be way more discounted than something that is a plus. But you'll be missing out on generally some safety kit, and generally a bit of power as well, at the very least. Yeah. Okay. Top bit of consumerism. Well done. I. Yes. Yes. Sorry, that, that was, sounded a bit sarcastic. I wasn't meaning to be. That was actually proper top info for us all to be aware of. Thank you. Yeah, I thought that was really useful and interesting because I couldn't work out why they kept saying plus at the end. And I thought well, that's not the name of the master. You know, the master, the master spec and trim levels. So let's quickly talk about new three. The new three was launched and unveiled, and everything came out at the LA Motor Show uh, right at the end of November. Not long ago. Not long ago. No, no, not that long ago. Exactly. I'm trying to think, work out. It's actually much sooner than I thought it was. It debuts a new generation of platforms for Mazda. Uh, they are all about torsional rigidity and rigidity in general. Because rigidity is good for safety. Uh, not only that, rigidity is very good for handling. They've done lots of kind of funky stuff with steel to make sure that they're lightweight and rigid. So the whole zoom, zoom thing, uh, they intend on that continuing. Good. The big thing that everybody talked about, though, with the three really, rather than the funky platforms, was the evolution of the styling. Now, we saw this with the Kai concept. At Geneva, way back in March, we saw it last year at Geneva with the with the the, the low coupe one that I now have forgotten the name of. The one that won all the awards. <laughs> yes, yes, the one that quite rightly won all the awards. Uh, it's called Next Generation Kodo. Uh, that look, oh. uh, and what I think that's interesting about it, and this led to the the, the best quotation of the day, which we'll get to in a tick is that it's all about reflections and not slashes. So it's like the opposite of what many or uh, of what many car companies are doing at the minute with their current design language which is like look we've worked out how to make slashy metal. Yes. Mazda are being Mazda and they're just doing the darned opposite because that's what they do. And it's all about the reflections of things. So okay. I think that's one of the reasons why they go they they take particular attention to the paint colors and I'll give a quick reminder of the there's a hierarchy of hierarchy of colors uh, on Mazdas. But it's all about the space between the objects. 
And the absolute line which sums it up, though you're going to top and blow, and I, I know that you do this because you're so predictable, is that it's all about beauty through subtraction. It's all about what's not there. Uh-huh. Negative space, all these kind of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but whilst you're rolling your eyes, tutting, and sort of looking at me in a rather odd way, Andrew, it does work, doesn't it? It looks great. If that's how they've described it to each other internally, fine. I think they look great. Disappointed in the rear window size for the hatchback. That one's veneer. So, by the way, with I am very just just to be clear though, I am incredibly impressed with the with the look of the new three in both hatchback and saloon. Pure. Sorry, I was just showing my grown-up appreciation of 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 of, of, of Andrew's obsessions. So you're quoting fellow crayon wielders, don't? Yes, don't yes, I get am. stroppy yes. with me. Yes, I am. <laughs> yes, I am. And I think it's a really good line, actually. And I do like the, I do like it, and I do think it works. And I don't really care about the rear window line. The other thing that the new three is debuting, well, it debuted at the same time in more detail is Mazda Skyactiv X uh, engines. So these are these are are essentially the first productionized I think compression ignition petrol engines. So we're all familiar with compression ignition, it's how diesel engines work, but it works with diesel. Mazda worked out a way of getting it to work with petrol and this is almost the holy grail of petrol engines uh, right at the minute. It's something called spark-controlled compression ignition. So it's not pure compression like a diesel because the timing of when the expansion happens is spark-controlled. Now, yeah, it got quite technical at this point. There was only so many notes I could take because... I'm looking forward to hearing how you, through the medium of audio, you're going to describe all this happening. <laughs> well, what I'm actually, what I'm going to do is I'm going to cheat terribly. And I'm going to say, look, Engineering Explained uh, on YouTube did a re- has done a really good YouTube on it. It's about 13 minutes long. The link will be in the show notes. <laughs> Just look on YouTube, search for Sky Active X Engineering Explained. It's 13 minutes long. He has a whiteboard and everything. Um, total it just cheat. Yes, it just it just wasn't going to work. But essentially, uh, spark controls when the combustion occurs, so it's not pure compression. But in order to actually create this near fireball, and, and what I've got in my notes, <laughs> in my notes I looked back at them, and there's a single line that said, involves fireballs. <laughs> right, okay. Hence the link to the Engineering Explained video. I couldn't make enough notes in the time that Owen was, was speaking about it. Yeah, so the engine switches between being a traditional uh, sort of auto cycle engine, uh, really, or certainly a traditional traditional sort of spark uh, ignition engine, depending on loads and the like. It depends on a load of factors. Does isn't it as well? Uh, depends on whether the, the, it changes where the the ignition of the fuel is in the actual yeah. movement, the, the uh, vertical movement of the cylinder. Yeah, so. And that helps to change the. It's not like because tradition in a traditional engine, yeah. it always happens at exactly the same spot at you know whether it's the top or the bottom of the movement. Yeah, but absolutely. In this, so, this changes that as it goes along. 
Exactly. So there's no sort of timing set up on these engines. It is not limited by timing like a chain or a belt. It is the a small spark uh, which sort of which ignites it. Which and when the spark takes place is is when, of course, then then suddenly it, it times it so that you then get the um, the sort of expansion stroke uh, of the engine. To do this, it runs an incredibly high compression compression ratio, sixteen to one or thereabouts. That is that's well up to diesel territory, and it runs extremely lean. Uh, so there's very little fuel going in there because it, it can time when it's going to uh, when it's going to ignite it uh, so neatly that it doesn't it, it that it, it it can deal with it. So that means then, if if I'm understanding what you're you're saying here, and I am a complete luddite, that not only because of the manner in which this system works that it uses less fuel, but because that it runs lean way it doesn't need as much fuel to make the spark go bang yeah traditionally when you make uh if you run an engine overly overly lean then you end up with knock in the engine uh so that's when the 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 ignition is happening at the wrong time you almost want the effect that causes knock in this engine because you you can be so much more accurate about exactly when it is that you want that uh, that fuel to to explode mate we are talking right on the very edge of my my ability to to remember that so please guys the engineering explained video is is well well worth it i could talk about this but i don't want to get it wrong yes, quite frankly you don't want letters no exactly <laughs> what it means the bit really, you know, at the end of the day, uh, uh, most of us actually will be driving the cars. Uh, what it actually means is a massive improvement in torque, because of course it's a petrol engine, but it's working more like a diesel engine does uh, with the compression. And they're saying about a twenty percent increase in economy over the existing Skyactiv G two liter petrol. Wow, because that wasn't rubbish. Well, no, I have found it basically ran on magic beans as it was. I could quite easily get up to 50 miles per gallon on that. Yeah. So, you know, it's quite impressive. Uh, and very, very low nitrous uh, emissions as well. What about CO2? I can't remember. Okay. Because because if we can get that as well, then we say, okay, that's the engine everybody needs now. <laughs> yeah, well, that's basically it, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's excellent. Other powertrain news: battery electric vehicle coming from Mazda in 2019. Did they make? The, did they hint at what that would be? Probably a SUV. No. Or no. Okay. No. No hint at all. And a Fev in 2021. Do you think the Fev will happen? Considering <laughs> don't know. Considering don't know. how markets have possibly changed in their attitude to Fevs. <laughs> don't. I genuinely don't know. But that, those are the dates they're saying about those. But what? Are, so, but the, and there's no. There's no news on a, a full EV. That's a bear. That's a battery. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Somebody needs a reminder on what different, what all these, these. Um... Well, it was episode 35. It was, yes. So almost 200 ago. Yes. Oh, that's alarming. So, yeah. So the, those are coming. No hint on what types of vehicles they were. Okay. Uh, but that was it. And then after that, we went for lunch. In the matter of in the manner of a car event, but no, I'd been there well before lunch. In fact, I was the first to turn up, and I was a bit early. Sorry, just because I was concerned about the traffic. 
but also because I was desperate to get my mucky little mitts on the Mazda MX-5. Oh, God. Because I've been suffering from withdrawal <sighs> symptoms, folks. I have. I have. It's been... Oh, months. <laughs> nine months of withdrawal symptom. Nine months of withdrawal symptom. But I have reason for this. Because, because the MX-5 has evolved. I said about the many, many little tiny tweaks that they've been making that must have been making to the range uh, over the year. But but one of the things that they've done, which is quite a serious change, is to the 2-litre Mazda MX-5. Okay. Your Honour. The one that I may have mentioned in the past, so my one, uh, which was one of the first customer cars into the country, remember, right at the very start, it was 160 metric horsepower in an 1,100-kilo car. Uh, including driver. I noticed it made me chuckle as I was going through the spec sheets. It must always include the weight of a driver in, in their, their reported weight. Good. Um, weight. <laughs> so the output has gone from 160 uh, horses to 184 horses. Now, before we start, they haven't just done this by sort of uh, doing a, a software unlock. Okay. It is actually a different crankshaft in the in the car it's a whole different air intake it's a completely and totally different exhaust system as well so whilst the car looks no different at all it does sound different uh-huh, and the engine does behave differently as well better exhaust no yes good it does it also goes different and it is significantly nippier in there as well how much was the extra uh, horsepower again sorry 24 extra horsepower. Well, that's that's a that's quite a percentage if you like. Oh yeah. That's that yeah. Okay. Okay. I, yes, it's good that it does actually re- return on that. Yeah. And, uh, and they're saying that there's no difference in that there's no expected difference in economy and stuff as well as a result of this. Win. So yeah, so significant differences there. I mean, it's the thing is it drives uh, and rides and all this kind of stuff just like an MX-5. Uh, I had forgotten how, how good I find the steering. Okay? Uh, and I know that there's there's, there's two factions. There's the Toyobaru has better steering, or there's the MX-5 has better steering. I'm a huge fan, Toyota fanboy, and I really like the BRZ, but but I believe that the, the, the steering award lives with the MX-5. It just just works for me. I was I was very surprised when I drove last year in the lesser model. Now <laughs> the, the quality of the yeah. steering which Mazda seem seem to put throughout their whole range as well. Well yeah we can talk about that in a bit too but yes absolutely and I just I just loved I just loved the steering. I loved driving with the roof down because it was still early enough that it wasn't peeing with rain uh, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I really did. There's there's more refinements uh, inside as well. So, and this is going to make people who maybe don't really get it uh, laugh. So, Andrew, the steering column. <laughs> this is a massive change. The steering column is not just rake adjustable, but also adjustable for reach. Okay. I know it sounds silly. I've always been MX five kind of dimensions. Possibly not always around the waist, but but otherwise, and I, I you know, I always found it uh, comfortable, and I believe I, I, I have in the past described it as that somewhat fetal position, which you end up taking in the the Mark IV 
uh, in DMX5. The steering column before meant that there was a kind of binary, I fit and I think it's awesome, or I don't fit at all. Yeah. Uh, so you could see that on Twitter with with some of the some well, of the journalists with- and you know and they and and they weren't having a go particularly they just said no. just I, I just don't fit. It was to do it's it's to do with a, a leg to back ratio really whether you fit or not and uh, what was happening was that people's knees were hitting the steering wheel amongst other things. So now that you can adjust it it means that people can actually move it they can drive thighs. it at least safely, if not comfortably. <laughs> yeah. Well, they could drive with their thighs. So that has made a massive, massive difference, okay. actually, to, to just how comfortable it is, because I, it was easier to become comfortable. I could always do it before, and I knew pretty much where my seat had to go as soon as I sat in this. But it was just having that little bit difference. It just gives you that little extra tweak. <laughs> little less compromise you have to make. Yeah, totally. There were some other changes inside. So the instrument binnacle has been updated. Nobody really mentioned this at all when I've been reading up on this. In the past, nobody really mentioned that the, the instrument binnacle has changed as well. So there's the MX-5, you have three dials. Of course, you've got your rev counter, your speedo. And then to the left, you, have, um, you had this third dial, which had... in previously in the soft top not the the foldy hard toppy ugly model you had the that's a matter of debate i know but in my opinion it's my opinion i'm allowed to say it then you always had this black and white screen on the left it's now far more sophisticated that lets you scroll through uh, some menus which you couldn't do before rather than just you know a couple of trip computer styley things it also now supports supports some of the new the new standard safety kit which has been added to this now. So the stuff like traffic sign recognition, uh, so that it will show you what it believes is the correct speed limit. There's driver attention alert now. The one I drove had the safety pack, so some of this might be part of the safety pack too. And there's uh, smart city brake support and stuff which wasn't there before this. I'd call it a facelift, but they haven't changed how it looks at all uh, before this revision as well. So that's the sort of stuff that NCAP look for to take something from a four to a five star. Yeah. There's an interesting one as well. So there's also rear smart city brake support, which is, um, as well as if you have the safety pack, then you get the a reverse camera as well, which sounds, I don't know. I'm not 100% sure that that's necessary, but hey, it's nice to have. But it now has rear smart city brake support, meaning that if you start backing out of a parking space and then something approaches, it will jam the brakes on for you. Not just bleep at you. Not so, just so it's not just an aware, um, whatever they call it, cross-traffic awareness thing. No, that, that still exists. The rear okay. cross-traffic alert still exists as part of the safety pack. That's definitely part of the safety pack. But yeah, the uh, but, but, but it will actually jam okay. the brakes on for you. Interesting. Do you did does it have uh, head up display? No. Okay. No. Didn't have head. Still doesn't have head up display. The way you sit, everything's so close. You don't yeah, really yeah, need yeah. it. As much as I like it, it's you're not looking down very far. To be fair, yeah. In that, absolutely. You're looking a long rolling down. Yeah, exactly. I found that the ride was a bit bit was a smidge better than I remembered the ride in mind being but that might just be because <laughs> the groom is so so stiff so 
it just seemed to ride a bit better in town. But as I say, that might just be comparative, and that could be my my, my brain having having forgotten that mine was pretty smooth too, and, and I've just got used to to to, to the skateboard. You've been my own car. assimilated. Assimilated, yeah. Well, that's the thing is that the the MX five it does actually roll quite a lot in standard spec, even on a sport like this with the Bilstein dampers. Um, it does actually roll quite a bit. Uh, but that also means you get a certain amount of compliance. So that's what the trade-off is. Overall, I always thought it was a brilliant car. It's now even better. I think the only thing is that as an early owner, I feel short-changed. But I really need to get over myself as that was nearly four years ago. So, uh, yes, things move on and this is one of them. <laughs> well, it's your own fault for being pioneering in all these you always oh, want the I first. Know. Give me the first. I do. Give me the shiny thing. I want the shiny thing. Like loved it lots. Good. Unsurprisingly. Yeah, but it's it's interesting to know that it has made that there was a significant difference between the one that you had and this new. Mm-hmm. Oh, there is something else that I forgot to mention. Uh that is that is another significant difference. Actually it's available right across the whole Mazda range, including retrospectively if you've already got a car with the Mazda Connect system. So in mine, I could now have a CarPlay fitted for £350. It's interesting. Supposedly it's that much because we tried to go, oh, come on, £350 for a software upgrade to um, to a local Mazda dealer. And they said, no, it's 350 quid because it's that. It takes time. That includes a fitting. It takes time. And we have to change a bunch of bits and pieces right about where the USB slots are oh, well that's interesting if you're going for a nearly new exactly uh, the nice thing is that it's retro that's not just on the mx5 of course that's right across all the masters with uh Mazda connect which is pretty much the whole of the last generation mm-hmm. anyway okay so that's worth knowing and i meant to include it at the top of the, the top of the show <laughs> uh in there so what do you go on to next so the next car i drive was the Mazda cx3 now, it's curious because it's the member of the Mazda range, which I'd never driven before. Uh-huh. So I'd driven all the other sizes and shapes, really. But I'd never driven a CX-3. And I was particularly taken by the by the fact you could get a 100, uh, 150 brake horsepower, four-wheel drive version available as both a manual and an auto. I like... This. I've seen quite a few rounds my way. I like the look of this one because it's more of a raised up hatchback than full on SUV tottering around. Particularly in that in that mm. B segment, they they well, look, the they look yes. so many of them look like they're about to tip over. Have you driven a Mocha X? Yes. They feel yes, like it too. I'm not a fan of that. But the Duke doesn't feel like it's going to fall over, but it is. It has nearly no room in the back, no. and it is. It is probably one of the most marmite vehicles that you can see. But generally, they are either challenging to look at in the case of the Duke, or they're just terminally mm-hmm. dull cars in the BSUV segment. The Maz, the CX three manages to not be either of them. It is a bit bigger than the Mazda two, uh, despite the fact. Uh, it's bigger than Mazda 2. It's like smaller than the Mazda 3, though. Yeah. So it should really be the CX 2.75 or the CX 2.5, okay? Really, size-wise, you know, that's where it goes. And it is, it, 
it's got three in the number, but really it's a little bit close to two uh, in size. Now, us saying what a good-looking vehicle this is, it has also had a bit of a facelift. I think I would have to stand with them right beside each other to actually notice what the differences are. I think the snout is a bit I am t- It has a new grill. It is, it is slightly wider uh, there. Uh, and the side graphics have been revised, uh, particularly around the, some of the pillars have moved from being body colored to black uh, to try and make it look which in turn makes it look longer, makes it look more coupe-like, um, although the shape hasn't actually changed at all. Changes really are um, changes really are on the interior. Mm-hmm. The uh, for the spotter's guide, people want to tell if so the, the quick tell as to whether this is a, a pre a pre nip and tuck or a post nip and tuck. The new ones, they now have an electric handbrake instead of a manual one. So that's your giveaway as to whether something is pre-facelift or post. Okay. I tell you, this is like fantastic nerd level as as ever with this one. Um, so that's your big giveaway there. Other changes have been under the bonnet. A 1.8 litre diesel engine has replaced a 1.5 litre diesel engine. Um, and power outputs and all that kind of fun stuff have, have changed slightly uh, as the plus spec has has come along uh, as well. So um, there are some some tweaks there. Other things are things like the availability of an auto on this uh, on this 150 brake horsepower version uh, as well. Okay. Uh, and also, I think it's also available in the diesel version. I'm now having a moment of panic. I think it's uh, yeah. I think it's available okay. in both. Best check that one out with your dealer first. Other revisions include a load of safety stuff once again, and it's, it's going to sound a little bit samey. Uh, it's all the traffic sign recognition, adaptive LED headlamps. Again, blind spot monitoring, rear cross traffic alert, uh, rear smart city brake, all that kind of stuff to try. And, I mean, we're always talking about how people become morons in car parks. Mm-hmm. Mazda, at the minute, are the masters of modularity when it comes to all this kind of stuff. They developed a system, and they don't just keep it to the vehicles at the top of the range. The specifications uh, across all the ranges and all the vehicles is very, very similar. You're paying different amounts for the different sizes and the different engines, but actually, you can you can get a, a CX3 with pretty much the same spec inside, as far as 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 far as luxuries and toys are concerned as a CX-5 or almost a 6, not quite the top spec 2.5 petrol because it's 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 a little bit bonus lux in there. But, you know, definitely you, you're paying for the size across the master range rather yeah. than rather than uh, them keeping it all peasant spec. I mean, out in the road, it's 150 brake horsepower in a 1,400-kilo car with all-wheel drive. So as the roads were getting wetter and slippier, uh, this really wasn't even noticing. And what was quite nice is the four-wheel drive, of course, kept uh, it, it just kept it kept it with that bit more traction on a sort of slightly slightly damp road. Is it road. permanent four-wheel drive or is uh, it electronic that uh, kicks in when it needs to? It does the kind of kick in when it needs to. So it's all wheel drive rather than four wheel drive. If I said, if I, if I said four wheel drive, my apologies. Uh, it was a slip of the tongue. I do know the, I do know the difference. Uh, 
But what was so, one of the things that I really liked about this was, again, we're talking BSUV, the dullest segment of the lot. But here was a car which I had come from, I mean, I, I literally had got out of uh, the MX-5 and sort of wandered down to say, that's me back with that, so you can load, sign that one back in. Eeny, meeny, miny, mode as to what I was going to drive next and checked that they had one like this uh, and then went straight out in this with maybe a less than 10 minute turnaround. Between the lightweight, awesome handling, rear-wheel drive, unique platform sports car they have, and their BSUV, you could feel the family in it. I mean, the steering feel was good. It wasn't the same. You know, we're talking front-wheel drive car, much, much taller tires, all these, you know, you're sitting much higher in the vehicle. So there's no way the steering feel could ever have been the same. It's just, just... The physics don't allow it uh, as much as anything else. But it was still darn good. And you could feel the weighting and all that kind of stuff was just the same as it was in the MX-5. And there was that relationship uh, just in the way things things felt. I don't mean this. And I don't mean like the switches on the dashboard and stuff because, you know... They, they, they swap these around between all the models. You know, Mazda have a few few sets of things. They rearrange well, them for the stuff that's in the two appears in the CX. Yeah, appears in the CX three, appears in the three. You know that all that kind of stuff. As you say, economies of scale. But the primary controls and the feel of what happens behind that first that first layer was the same. The gear shift. I mean, it wasn't as short a throw as the MX. Of course it wasn't. The MX it goes straight into the ruddy gearbox. There's a whole cable system and stuff for the uh, for the CX3. But again, it felt similar. It was a longer throw, but the feel was there, and I think that's really incredible. To be honest, no, that is that is. It really is neat compared to some of the other things. You, you know, you, you you could be pottering about it. Just that that family feeling and how they've managed to do it against two such different vehicles uh, is is really rather cool and just just something to bear in mind you know we, we joke at this whole zoom zoom thing but you do kind of they do kind of feel like they want to do that we'll be talking about horse and rider combined if I don't watch out <laughs> no you won't you won't um, no not really <laughs> uh, practical type stuff because I didn't bother with the MX-5 because frankly it doesn't matter um Okay, room in the back was good. You could do the whole cliched, I can sit behind myself uh, type thing. Um, headroom was a little bit tight. I have wee stubby legs and a long back, so other people might find there's not quite enough legroom, uh, but they're fine for headroom. Um, so, you know, all depends on what shape you are, to be perfectly mm-hmm. honest. But generally, it was kind of, it was a sort of traditional sort of two and a two and a half type seat. I wouldn't say it was it was particularly wide in there the boot is a good size definitely a nice regular shape but it's got a false floor what's the problem with the whole false floor right here you cry it only sits about five four to five centimeters above where the normal floor is sits. There, so, does that mean then that there's no proper spare tire oh i honestly can't remember um i don't think there is because they don't if there's a if there's a false floor I'm not sure that's completely true. Uh, let me just check. This is this is live, live remembering. Okay, um, and, and while you're at it, curry hooks. No. Ooh. 
So, so was it completely flat no. floor? It was completely flat with the fourth floor in place, okay. yes. So you could store the stuff under the false floor to stop them bouncing. You, you're around. almost... Okay. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to work on you the... You almost could. I don't want a, the bottle of wine of pint of milk to go spinning all around the boot. But there's no, no, there's no room underneath. There's no room under the false floor okay. for that. Yes, due to the unique and special way connectivity is here, I, I can't actually get to the photos. Yeah, I, I don't think so. Uh, because there is a rear diff and stuff under there. So... So yes, rather curious false floor. I guess when you fold the back seats, it means that the floor is flat. There we go. Again, I look. I went and I looked at this because it was a car that, that interested me because right. it kind of had all the the components I would I would be looking for if I was going out looking for a small SUV. It's it's, it's small and compact. Uh, I decided it probably um, handled quite well, and and yes, it does. It's four-wheel drive because why bother if you're not? And and frankly, it could be had with an auto box. Uh, I know that strikes me down from being any kind of purist, but it's a small SUV. Why not? No, no, no. Come on. Anyone who's listened to us for long enough knows that we are not adverse to an auto box as long as it's good. I love an auto. And modern boxes are good. Did it, I presume it had flappy paddles? I think it does if you got the auto, yeah. Yeah, if you if, this if one was manual, so inclined. So okay, but if you if you're so inclined, uh, you can go flappy paddle route with these things, and I would imagine it's going to be as decent as it was on the six, which is perfectly fine. Yeah, that sort of thing. But invariably, you just leave it in auto, and it does its thing. But you're buying a small SUV, so you probably not going to be driving it on its door mirrors all the time if you're going to do no, that by the end exactly. or by the three so so yeah I, I reckon the, the auto would go quite nicely but let's face it, it it's such a nice gear shift you wouldn't really be missing it you could have either depends on cost really so you were you were quietly impressed yes I was very impressed I was going out looking to be impressed to be honest and I would have been surprised if I'd been disappointed uh, just to give, put some some context around that uh, but yes, but, I was but yeah, that segment though is not. It's not great. It was as good as I wanted and hoped it would be. Okay. So, what did you move on to then after that? So, the last one I drove because I was about to have to make my way to Angles to see at this point, um, and I felt I couldn't just have my lunch and then clear off. <laughs> was a little bit of a bonus uh, one in there, and what I drove was the CX five. Mm-hmm. With the lower powered 2.2 diesel, so 150 PS one, Sport Nav Plus, so all the toys, and then two wheel drive. Okay. So, so the perfect school run. No. No, it no, it wasn't. Okay. Uh, and the reason it wasn't the perfect school run, we might as well cut straight to this, which was uh, it was uh, it was manual. Should have been auto. I've driven quite a few miles in previous generation high-powered auto CX-5. So I'm used to how it is and how it should feel. Uh, You know, the the one that doesn't have quite as bitey a front on it, uh, admittedly. But I I know how how that feels and I know that it is a lovely, lovely auto box. I, I could cope quite happily with the lower power 
of this one. I could cope with the two-wheel drive of this one. But it was the size of vehicle where really... The size of vehicle and the style of low-down, luggy-talky engine, really, where it just would have suited... I mean, it wasn't bad. The thing is, it was not bad. It was nice. Nice gear shift. You know, master gear shift. You could... just like I've said with the CX3, you can feel the family relationship, even though you're in, you're in a, a what for the UK is a moderately large SUV. But I didn't want that in that car. <laughs> it felt out of place. I wanted an auto. I wanted mm-hmm. to be able to just drive. Everything else was just fine. You know, it was a, it was a nice spec. It had all the toys. Pretty much the same spec as the, um, pretty much the same spec as the CX3. Which brings me to an interesting question here. Which is the prices. So the prices as tested, basically the same spec. Uh, this was a 30, this was £31,000. The CX3, by the way, was £25,000. I know where I would be putting my money unless I needed the space. Okay. I just didn't find, I, I just felt it didn't, didn't suit the car. It wasn't, it wasn't bad. It wasn't wrong in any way, shape or form. It just didn't suit it. Mm-hmm. I mean, the ride uh, was great. There's, there's lots of space in the CX-5, by the way. You've got proper three seats yeah, yeah. Uh, across the back, even more so than in the 6. You've got a good big boot, which, you know, the tailgate opens, the tailgate opens and closes. Oh, well done, Alan. That's a great insight. Fantastic. Giving you the sort of reviews you don't get anywhere exactly. else. I, you see, I peaked too early with my by, by starting off with useful, with useful consumer advice. <laughs> That was me by ten o'clock, but I, I just didn't find this as nice as any CX five I've 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 driven since. The ridiculous thing is, this was the wrong vehicle to have chosen. I should have ignored this. I should have said, "Can I try a high power petrol auto?" And I would I would have loved it. That's the thing, yeah. uh, because petrol and auto uh, weren't available as a combo here in the UK for WRTP. On the CX-5, I believe. So, yeah, you could only get diesel autos. You know, responding to market trends, blah, blah, blah. It was, uh, you you could now have that. And I should should have tried a petrol auto and not gone for a diesel manual. It was a dumb thing to have done. And I just didn't. It just didn't gel as a car for me. Mm. Nothing wrong with it if you want. You know, if you're saying, okay, no, I don't like autos. I want manual. It's a great manual. But for you... You would have been happier with an auto. I would have been happy with an auto. So okay. I wasn't that keen on it. I think that was probably a factor of me than the car. Before I round off very, very quickly, I should give a give a run through of each of the cars and the spec and the price because I realise I haven't done that as I've gone along. Yeah, no so MX-5, so Mazda MX-5 convertible 184 Sport Nav Plus, a standard on the road price £24,795. Uh, this the one I drove had soul red crystal metallic paint at seven hundred and ninety pounds. Uh, normal machine grey. We remember those of you who've been attending our lectures on Mazdas uh, will remember that the machine grey metallic paint is six hundred and seventy, and then other mica metallic or pearl paint is five hundred and fifty pounds. Safety pack of eight hundred pounds. Well worth it in my book means that the total tested on the road price was £26,385. Still sounds quite a bargain. It's still quite a bargain, really. Uh, the CX-3 2.0-litre 150 PS all-wheel drive Sport Nav Plus, 
Standard car price on the road, £23,795. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says here it had machine grey metallic at 670 It It didn't. It had uh, blue mica paint at £550. I know because I checked the photographs. Um, safety pack of £650. <laughs> Which brings it in as that's true. The train spotted. I know. <laughs> I looked at my own photos. I thought I'm sure it was blue. I can tell by the shade. I hate you a lot. <laughs> uh, which brings it in at just over twenty five thousand uh, pounds. The way it's been added up here, twenty five thousand one hundred and fifty, uh, which may actually be correct. It's just the wrong thing has been highlighted in bold. And last but not least, the Mazda CX-5 2.2 150PS two-wheel drive sport nav plus diesel had it was £29,695 on the road, £560 for the blue mica. It was the same colour as the CX-3, I promise. Paint, it might have been black, actually. I could be wrong. Uh, £800 <laughs> for the safety pack. That served me right for being smug. £800 for the safety pack, and uh, so the total as tested was £31,055. Because these cars come with everything in their granny, it's cut as it is, It they can't really add lots on for, um, for uh, press cars. One final thing remains to be said. Thanks to Owen, Lois, Martin, and Graham for their hospitality uh, and for their advice on routes and photography locations as someone who was not particularly familiar with that area and kept getting lost. I don't think I took the same route route twice, but no, thank you for the, the, the thank you for that. Um, especially as the rain was closing in and there's quite impressive views to be had around Gaden, by the way. If you mm-hmm. are around there, which rounds us up, I think. Yep. So don't forget. Uh, well, be- no, no, no. Before oh, we go, though, just to let everybody who's playing along at home know, uh, now uh, you have to down your entire crate of beer that you have stacked up because Alan has spent the last forty stroke fifty odd minutes talking about masters. So, uh, as we all know on the Motion Podcast, that is a drink situation, and uh, if he mentions it once, so for the full episode of it. That is, book yourself in hospital or rehab because uh, Alan's nearly done. I really am nearly done. Don't forget, folks, that between now and next time, you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts with the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Please don't forget to leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. It really does matter. Andrew. What's the best way to get in touch with you to, you know, send in the send in the, the bills for the stomach pumping after all the alcohol? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you will find me there. And Alan, if people want to know even more interesting facts and knowledge about uh, paint uh, or Mazda or uh, for you to describe in more detail the Skyactiv-X engines... What's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Oh, bounce you to the appropriate experts on Twitter, where I'm at AJP Bradley, B I D L E Y. <sighs> I hate you so much. Uh, we'll be back next week, but until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring. <laughs>